Vanguard's telling us that uh, retirement outlook is pretty bleak for a number of Americans. I would probably agree with Vanguard based on uh, the evidence that we've seen over the past decade. It is a narrative that's been around for a little while. Over 56% of Americans don't feel like they're on track to retire comfortably. And it's no surprise. Retiring with confidence is not as simple as it used to be. That's why each week we talk about the many challenges of modern retirement and share some of the best strategies for overcoming each and every one. So that you can make sure you're putting your hard-earned savings towards the retirement of your dreams. I'm Brandon. And I'm Brantley. Welcome to Retire with Confidence. For more, be sure to visit retirewithconfidencenow.com. I think that that what puts some degree of of kind of whoa, hold on, just a second, is um, the fact that we do see a lot of academic, uh, academic. That's the word I want. Academic <laughs> papers that speak to the potential problems of retirement preparedness. Right. And yeah, there's there's been a couple of different investment style companies that have have kind of expressed concern about this, but this is they've they've gone pretty deep on this. I mean, it's a 30 page report that they've, they've released and this isn't, this isn't the first one, I don't believe. Right. Um, Right. Speaking to the fact that there is a pretty significant shortfall Mm -hmm. that a number of Americans face if they're not in like the highest of income strata. And what was interesting about this report to me, because I I did a little digging on the data sources and that sort of thing, is this wasn't taken from Vanguard internal data. They're, they're actually, they're very clear to say that their internal data actually shows better outcomes from yes, people yes. that use Vanguard products and Vanguard retirement plans, which Gee. I thought was kind of funny. This um, message brought to you by Vanguard. Vanguard. <laughs> exactly. But um, this is data from, from outside sources. So I guess hypothetically, it's not balanced. It's not biased. It, or maybe it is balanced, but not biased. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I can't get, it's a lot of B words in there. Um, Oh, no, we're, we're firing on all engines today, all yeah. cylinders rather. But, the, but you're right about the big thesis was, which also not entirely shocking if you think about it, but basically it was, it's my understanding, you, you can add to this as you want to, was that the percentage of, of retirement income that one would have to make up for over and above Social Security. Yep is much higher for lower income people than it is for higher income people. I mean, they broke it down into different strata and there's lots of details, but the general thesis was people who make less money will have to compensate with more of their own money in retirement versus people who to basically live the same lifestyle. I'm saying this the most awkward way possible. Please save me. (laughs) There's a a higher percentage of pre-retirement income there you go. That will be necessary to live a normal life in retirement as we go through these different income tranches. And the income yeah. tranches, they looked at it as percentiles, pretty common uh, metric to use when it comes to research. So we've got the 25th percentile, 50th, 70th, and then they jumped up to the 95th to show us what, what it looks like if you're pretty stratospheric on the income scale. Right. And to give people a sense of where these numbers shake out, um, some of you may want to do this to, to measure yourself against them. I think it's more just a way of, of figuring out how how these might break down. Um, and there's something else to be said about the, the upper income strata part. Um, so 25th percentile is people with incomes up to $22,000 a year. Uh, 50th percentile income up to $42,000 per year. 70th percentile people with incomes up to $61,000 per year. And the 95th percentile, which is incomes up to 
uh, yeah, $173,000 yeah. per year. So those are the, that's how they break down. And uh, what they, what they found from this data is if, if you're in, for example, the 95th percentile, so your income is $173,000 or starts at that, that number rather. So, right. Right. Um, that's entry to the, to the 5% club. Right. Um, the, the amount of that pre-retirement income that those people generally need in retirement is about 43%. Right. So quick math, that's 74-ish thousand dollars. Something like that, yeah. thousand dollars. Mm -hmm. So that's still substantially more than the pre-retirement income of like the 70th percentile where the income before retirement is 61,000 bucks. Right. So they're still living off more. But the way that this gets kind of scary is you go down to the 25th percentile. So people with incomes up to $22,000 per year, they need 96% of their pre-retirement income in retirement. Yep. So they need back basically all of it. Yep. And that's mathematically impossible. Yeah, it is mathematically impossible. And they're not able, the much larger, um, I'm not looking at the sheet because I'm trying not to look all over the, the, the report. I mean, you can be like um, me. I look all over the place for reasons <laughs> that don't even make sense. Sometimes I look at the ceiling well, when I'm talking. I can't, I can't really see it. So yeah. the interesting part to me was the percentage of the people in the bottom, the 25th percentile. So we're talking about those people, the percentage of their income that's actually retirement income that's made up by social security was astronomically higher than all the other quartiles. I mean, is that correct? I mean, I, I'm trying to, I, I'm trying to recall from memory the, the, the uh, graphs I was looking at. Yeah. So the, the 25th percentile, um, the, the percentage of that, 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 rec that income need is, uh, that, that has to be comprised of social security is 32%, uh, 33% for the next up. So I right. mean, the, let, let, everybody in the bottom half of right. income attainment needs about a third of their income or is relying on the, the, their retirement income. Social security is going to comprise, comprise about a third of their, right. their retirement income. And they have to have that. That's, that is a kind of non-negotiable element of their retirement success. And they're, they're sort of hit with the double whammy there too, because generally speaking, since they were lower income earners, their social security is pretty well, short. Which means that their need to to do everything they possibly can to maximize social security income mm -hmm. is mission critical. Right. Yeah. Like these are people who probably need to delay social security until age 70. Right. Yeah. These are people who um, need to take very, very careful or pay very careful attention to ways that may manipulate the wage base. Right. If, if there's an opportunity to take a higher paying job for maybe the last five years of, of your working life, do it. Right. Because it's, it's going to have at least some impact on how much social security income you receive. But yeah. it also means that if you'd like to, to, to peace out at age 62, good luck. Right. Um, it's, it's not going to look good. I, I think the reality for most mathematically, I'm not, I don't, I don't know any, any, have any personal experience with this, but when I look at those numbers for the people that are in the, the 25th percentile, I go, I don't see how you're, you're not going to continue to work in some capacity until you die. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. some sort of part-time, you're going to have to have some, because they're going to, they need, was it like 96% of their pre-retirement income in retirement? Yes. Basically all of it. Yep. And because they're in the 25th percentile of income, there's just no possible way they could have saved enough money if they're living in a van down by the river. Maybe. <laughs> um, I'm not talking about one of those fancy van YouTube vans. 
I'm talking about a, you know, an 87 Aerostar with the seats ripped out of the back and an air mattress thrown in there, sort of van. Um, I'm not making fun of anyone for being low income. I'm just. Funny how that, that, that uh, shakes out over time. You can have very little money and live in a van down by the river, or you can have a lot of money and live in a van down by the river. That's exactly right. And I'm not impugning anyone who makes a low income because it has nothing to do with your value as a human being or anything no, like that. No, no, I no, mean, no. Not, there's, there's lots of various reasons why that may be your reality. And, um, but you're not going to be able to live the typical middle-class American lifestyle. To be fair to the, the numbers here, like we're, we're, we're kind of focusing a little bit, I think too much on this, this 25th yeah, we uh, quartile. This is just as problematic for the the bottom half. Yep. Like the 50th percentile here, 83% of pre-income or pre-retirement income is the necessity here. And what was the, what was the 50th percentile? What was the income number? 42,000. 42,000. 42, yeah. There's a lot of people that follow that. A ton of people. That fall people. into that category. And I would venture to say they're probably in a, in a slightly more precarious position than the 25th percentile because they're likely to have more debt just because they can get more debt because they make more yep. money so they can leverage themselves higher. You know, we um, we covered a, an example on the other podcast we're a part of. Yeah. Where we talked about something similar to this. So mm -hmm. I want to I bring those numbers over here because I think that they're very relevant to this conversation. So the, the example that we used there was to point out that if you make $40,000 a year, and you're trying to save for retirement. If we use 20% as being kind of the, one of the, the most agreed upon best numbers to shoot for, um, yeah. more is always better, but less, <laughs> not so great. Um, that's $8,000 per year. So let's say you get 25 years before you're going to retire. Right. And, and let's say that, that um, you, you need to hit a million bucks in order to create that, that $40,000 of income because you're going to use the 4% rule, which I think a number of, of financial people out there would look at and go, and that, that's, that's a blessable figure. Now, we, right. we can argue all day long about the possibility that you may need less than that, but I think most of us are going to agree, 4% rule or not, if you got a million bucks and you're looking to generate $40,000 of income, you're probably in a pretty good place. Right. So if that's the target, why not? If you're going to save 20% of your income, which is $8,000 a year, you need a 10.9% annual rate of return to hit that number. Now, there are some people, some people out there who think maybe or say perhaps that's a doable number. Um, word on the street is he's going to retire soon, so that, that may go away. But um, like 10.9 is a big, big number from yeah, a compound is. annual growth rate. Yeah. That's, and, and let's not discount the fact that uh, how many people do you know that make 40 grand a year that are saving eight, eight of it? I can't name any. Right. But that's a tough I'm sure someone. I mean, I'm not, yeah. I'm not saying like, yeah, there's probably people that say 50%, mm -hmm. but $8,000 on a $40,000 income, that's significant. That's yeah. going to take some real sacrifice and some it's real gonna be, it's gonna take some change doing. in behavior. Yeah. If we back up and say, well, wait a minute, like if you're saving $8,000 a year, right. then you're only living on $32,000. Right. So if you only need $32,000 sure. in income, sure. that's going to change the numbers. It's going right. to change what you need for an account. It's going to change what you need for rate you of return. Can, you, can, you can ensure that you can live this greatly diminished lifestyle forever. Yeah. So so using all of this same logic, all of the same construct, 9.5% yeah. is what you're going to need. Right. Which is still an awfully lofty number <laughs> you think? for compound annual growth rate. Right. Well, I'm sure you could, you could cherry pick some 25-year period and show that that totally worked. 
you could. You could also pick a cherry pick a, a, a 25-year period where you got half that. That's a dicey proposition. And it's a especially dicey proposition when you get into to kind of tactical strategies about investments where you go, well, you know, I'm, I'm not going to stay like 100% equities for 25 years. That would be foolish, according to most adv investment advisors. Sure. Like we got to ratchet down the risk as our ability to stomach a market downturn goes right. down. And, and, you know, for the well, last 10 even, years. Even Vanguard being totally self-serving in the very beginning says, but we find if people use Vanguard target day funds, they're, yeah. they're, they're going to yeah. have vastly better outcomes. It's like, except that gets more and more and more conservative. Yes. By their definition, not, not by ours. I don't <laughs> consider shifting money to bonds being more conservative. No, necessarily. I mean, it can be, but it's not a, uh, it's not a rule. It may it diminish the losses a little bit, but it also diminishes the gains by quite a bit. That's what we're seeing right now. So yeah, in this data from Vanguard, like, so, okay, $32,000, $40,000, whatever it is, it's very hard to get to the, the amount of money saved to comfortably create that income. Right. If you are, as Vanguard put it in their report, self-financing your retirement. Yeah. So Social Security is going to play a role. It has but to. The, yeah. The point that Vanguard's making is we're, we're not so sure that if you need, so let's say, 96% of your pre-retirement income and 34% of that is going to be comprised of Social Security, you're going to get there. Right. Because we don't know that the social security payment is going to be enough. And there's not much you can do to control that beyond try to make more money and, and increase your wage base yeah. in, in social security or delay it for, delay it to 70. I was yeah. going to say as long as possible, but after 70, it doesn't matter. Right. So um, these, these are things that you can do and these are things that will move the needle to some degree, but the chances that you actually get there, it's not high. And we step up one one quartile here and the numbers are a little different, but they're very, very similar in terms of their overall magnitude. Mm -hmm. And so we're talking about half, half of the American populace is in this boat. Yep. And quite frankly, even as we step up to the 70th percentile, we're looking at a situation where 68% of pre-earnings pre-retirement earnings is what they're, they're shooting for. And 28% of that is, is likely to be, or excuse me, 17% of that. I was looking at the wrong chart. 17% of that is, is likely to need or need to come from social security. Right. That one's much more highly probable right. to work out. And they'll hit that not because, perfect. because they're, they're going to have much higher social security payments. Mm -hmm. Um, they, but here's they will have paid into social. There's no magic. We should take that sidebar. There's no magic in how much income you get from Social Security. It has to do with how much you paid into Social Security, which has everything to do with how much money you made. So it's not. Yep. It's not like a mysterious formula. How come somebody gets more than they do? Like, yes. well, fifteen percent of a higher number is a higher number. So yes, that's yes how it works. Yes. But I would argue there's there's something underlying the let's say seventieth percent sure. income percentile right. that is is going to make the the retirement prospects a little shakier, mm -hmm. which is the fact that in my mind there's there's kind of this this awful sort of black hole that people fall into in terms of income where it used to be a hundred thousand was the number I think it's it's probably more like one twenty five one fifty these days yeah. but like if you were stuck somewhere between let's say fifty thousand and a hundred and fifty thousand life seems like it's better but it can be quite miserable right because you have more money than 50% of the the American working populace. Right. Or you make more money, let's say. Sure. 
but you're still kind of stuck in this world of of you're trying to to live a somewhat nicer life, enjoy things that life has to offer, but you don't have enough money yet. Yeah. To really kind of escape. Uh, we've we've mentioned at a time or 10 that the difference between zero income and 25 or the difference between $25,000 of income a year to $50,000 is way 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 more meaningful than going from 50 to 100, but is way 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 less meaningful from going from 100 to 50 and then like 150 up to 200 it's like what happened nothing right it, it, the more you have in terms of income the less impactful every more dollar becomes yeah. because there's just a certain amount of fixed expense to life sure. that everybody has whether they make $25,000 or $500,000 a year I, I don't notice a, a big difference in people who I'll just throw random numbers people who, who are making half a million dollars a year and people that are making two million dollars a year mm-hmm. I really it's not that the person who doesn't make two million, who makes two million dollars, can't do more. Obviously, they can. Right. They got more money. They can do all sorts of things. I mean, in terms of quality of life, there's no, there's no measurable difference there. It's yeah, no. Um, holding a lot, holding things like cost of living pretty even. That there's just no difference. Yeah. In that sense, they live fairly similar lifestyles. Now, Vanguard did note that there are some things that may come into this equation that are perhaps exogenous to a traditional model. Mm-hmm. Home equity was a big one. So, yeah, I thought that was an the, interesting one, by the way. But we'll go yeah, ahead. <laughs> it, it's going to play a much, much larger role. Yeah. In saving the retirement lives of lower income individuals than higher income individuals in most cases. Most likely because those lower income individuals are much more likely to use that as a source of retirement income than higher income individuals. Do, though, you, do you believe that? I mean, well, I, it, I saw it posited there, but I'm like, okay, but but how? It almost seems like there's a U-shaped curve here to this. Yeah. Where the the lower income folks are going to use it more. Middle of this, this uh, distribution, less so. But as we go up higher in income, we see more potential use of it. And that actually... That pans out with with lots of things that we know. I mean, it, for those in the know, things like like reverse mortgages were yeah. first a, a tool of the, the the very wealthy, right? Like people who owned large, highly appreciated, valuable houses had a tendency to pledge them as collateral and extract the value from them to do yeah. whatever they wanted to, right? Um, that was absolutely something that was that was a rich man's game for a number right. of years. Right. And then the the lending industry kind of figured out we can bring this to more everyday people and make money doing it. And so they did. And it it definitely became a tool that lesser income people kind of relied on because probably the most the, the singular most valuable asset they held was their house. Yeah. We wouldn't argue that it was worth lots and lots and lots of money, but it was it was a, an asset that they had, and it yeah. probably outsized their other assets. Sure. So this was a place that they could go to when they needed money, right? And a lot of them needed money. Yeah, I will say that you know reverse mortgages are still a thing. Obviously, the the in my personal experience, the uptake, the number of people who are interested versus the number of people who do, are uh like point one percent. So yeah, it's. It's a good academic idea. Um, it may mathematically make sense for a lot of people. Most people won't do it. Um, they just won't do it. And yeah. and 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 the problem the problem I have with include, including home equity here for the lower income people, not the high, the higher income people, can do a lot of things that that everyone else can't do. Is they still got to live somewhere. So yep. 
aside from a reverse mortgage, which in most cases, in my experience, the ones cases I've actually looked at, gotten proposals for people who were interested, et cetera, um, it was such a small amount of money because it's not like they're going to give you 100% of the market value. There's a discount applied immediately. And then there's a bunch of other factors that come into play, you know, and so an extra 75,000 bucks or a hundred thousand bucks is over the span of a retirement that buys you like a couple years. Yeah. It's not, it's not a meaningful enough. That's, that's my point. Amount of money. Yeah. Cause typically people who have lower incomes also have lower value properties because turns out if you make $22,000 a year, you're probably not living in a $2 million. I'm just saying, I'm just following logic here. That's outside of these academic studies. Cause you and I live in the real world. We don't, Mm -hmm. we're Mm -hmm. not academics. Um, right. Just pretend to be on YouTube. Um, (laughs) we're YouTube academics. The idea that people may tap that equity source is somebody's going to do it, but whether or not people do it on mass is suspect. Not going to happen. And, um, I just don't think it'd be that impactful, even if they do. There's, there's some other data from, from Vanguard here that, um, looks at, how all of this breaks down by generational cohort. Yeah. So baby boomers, Gen X, millennials. Yeah. And um, what we discover is only the people who fall in the 95th percentile. Mm-hmm. So this $173,000 of income or more right. are people who are right on target to be just fine. <laughs> it's Everyone very, else? It's very profound, Brandon. Um, I hadn't brought, brought up the age strata that they did because I, I, I read through it and could, deciphered that there was just extraneous well, information that didn't really. I think one of the, the, the insightful components here is the fact that that doesn't matter which generation you fall into. Mm-hmm. If you are in the, the bottom 25th quartile, mm-hmm. you're all in a very dicey proposition to be able to get to you're going to have to self-fund most of your retirement and it, it's just your your retirement prospects are not great and actually going even to the 70th percentile and down all of them are below the threshold yeah of income replacement right kind of being on target for income replacement Right. Unsurprisingly, the the millennial cohort is the highest likelihood at that point. Yep. But it's also got the most time. Right. So, you know, you take somebody who's 60, somebody who's 50, and somebody who's, well, 40, um, I guess. I, I, can you close can be 40 right now? Close, close. Yeah. We're rounding. Um, if, if you all make $61,000 a year. Right. And you're all saving the same percentage. Yep. Then... The prospects for the one who's the youngest at that income are the brightest. Like that's not. It's revolutionary. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Um, I I think this is time for us to insert commercial and say, yeah, this is why we are so obsessed with trying to change people's retirement planning paradigm Mm -hmm. to start with income first. Yeah. Target income growth over your working lifetime. Don't right. target growing your account balance. Your account balance will grow as a byproduct of what we're talking about. But, and, and I'm not talking about, a, I'm talking about, generally speaking, your account balance is basically everything you have. Um, mm-hmm. That's what I mean by that. So focus, start with the end in mind, and the end is income. 
And this tells us that the vast majority of people out there have do not are not going to have enough retirement income. Um, so thus the retirement probably either will never happen or it will happen at a much, much later date. There are two things, two things you can never, ever buy with groceries, home equity and rate of return. Yeah. So the obsession about home equity is not really there, but the obsession about rate of return. Yeah. It, it, it just infiltrates so many financial planning, retirement income circles or retirement planning circles. Yeah. And there's just this, this never ending discussion about what's my rate of return. Yeah. And is it good enough? Right. And it doesn't work from a practical standpoint. Right. To get to retirement and say, I'm going to be okay as long as I get an 8% rate of return. Right. That's not true. You're going to be okay if you can generate whatever income you think you needed to, to generate. Yeah. In, in retirement. Yeah. Do you, that's what's going to make you okay. Do you own enough assets, big category of assets out there in the world? Do you own enough assets that generate income without you having to work for it? Mm -hmm. That's really, that's all it boils down to. Mm -hmm. And there's an infinite number of, of combinations of things you can do to get there. And that depends on your taste, your style, what you're comfortable yep. with, all, all sorts of things. There are, there are things that the, the fire movement gets wrong, and that's a discussion for another day. But the one thing they've always been solidly correct about mm -hmm. is that you got to be working towards the ability to generate income from assets. Right. And you should start and, that sooner rather than later. Yeah. Get off this, this train that, that the, the industry has sort of programmed people to believe that you don't need to worry about that income stuff until you retire. Well, think about, think about this from the perspective of a traditional financial advisor. Yeah. So if I, if I wanted to prospect you as a client for me mm -hmm. as a financial advisor, and I want to grow your wealth and make you more prepared for retirement, yep. how do I get paid? I get paid based on a percentage deducted from your account balance. Right. So the more money you have, the more money I make. Right. So the natural not the incentive. Money, <laughs> for not the more money you earn from your assets. That doesn't right. mean anything to me. Right. The more money you have, the more money I make. Right. So if, if this comes down to a conversation between me advocating for you to do things that are going to maximize your account balance yep. or things that are going to maximize your income, my financial incentive is maximize account balance. Yep. So if there's a way for us to produce all the retirement you, income you need with 30% less account balance, which means I make 30% less money, yep. I'm not that interested in talking to you about that. <laughs> Absolutely true.